You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. If you don't like big tech tracking you and selling your personal data for profit, it's time to fight back. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log right now to get three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 460, Tattoo. Smiles, everyone. Smiles. I am Mr. Lau, your host. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Pass, pass. What about me? Ah, yes, my friend. Everyone, meet my co-host, Mr. Champion. Uh, Pass, pass. Whose fantasies are we looking at today? Meet a man on a quest. His name is Chakotay. And he is looking for meaning in the universe and a connection to his long-lost family. It all happens in a story we will call Tattoo. What a silly name. While you mull that over, let me tell you how to reach us for your comments or how to book your own reservation to our island. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that that, uh, (laughs) little guy got out of here. I'm ready to do trivia for you. Uh, Yes, so Tattoo, we have a story that is by Larry Brody, and you need to think back, way, way back, to an earlier incarnation of Star Trek, if you don't remember Larry's name. His only other credit with the franchise is on Star Trek the Animated Series. He wrote The Magics of Magus 2. Even though he remained friendly with the production, he was passed over for a position on the TNG staff for which he had been considered. In his career, Larry has written for a number of animated series as well as television and film. One of his most recent projects is a sci-fi short called Saving Robin Williams. He pitched this story back during season one of Voyager, and the producers were interested, but they couldn't quite crack it, so it sat dormant. Enter Michael Piller, who saw the potential and wanted to take it on himself. He was interested in adjusting the pacing of Voyager overall, squeezing in more action, more scenes, and at the same time exploring characters in a way that had fallen off a bit especially with someone whose billing is as high as Robert Beltran. So Michael gets the teleplay credit, and he really ushered in this story to completion. Now, it was directed by Alexander Singer, and this is the very first of 10 episodes that he will direct, but I'm sure that you recognize the name. He worked on The Next Generation and on DS9. He did six episodes for TNG, including Relics and Ending with Homeward. On DS9, he wrapped up with Hard Time. Now, we get some good location filming here, but then it's kind of fun because you can tell where they all just felt like 
you know, we really need to get back to shooting in the control of our own studio. So they did indeed spend most of their time in the studio. But let's let's talk about our guest stars. Well, returning in this episode is Nancy Hauer as Samantha Wildman. Also returning to Star Trek is Henry Darrow, who we first saw way back in the first season of TNG in the episode Conspiracy, where he played the Vulcan Admiral Devar. Here, he appears as the flashback to Chakotay's father, and he will be back in the same role one more time on Voyager. The younger version of Chakotay, who we meet in the flashback sequences, is played by Douglas Spain. He's from Los Angeles, and this episode was quite early in his career. Douglas was 21 when it was produced, and ever since, he has worked almost nonstop. He picked up an Independent Spirit Award nomination for his role in the movie Star Maps, and you can find him in a huge number of film and TV roles. Notably, he had a recurring role in Band of Brothers on HBO. To this day, Douglas also works as a producer and director, having helmed a number of short films since the early 2000s. This is his only Star Trek appearance. And finally, we get to know an alien, a sky spirit, if you will, played by Richard Fancy. And you have absolutely seen him before. If the multiple appearances on Seinfeld as Elaine's boss, Mr. Lippman, doesn't ring any bells... Well, here's your interesting Star Trek crossover. His only other appearance in the franchise was back in TNG's fifth season when Richard played a Vulcan captain named Satelk. The episode was The First Duty, co-starring, of course, Robert Duncan McNeil as Nick Locarno. If I wasn't a computer, I'd be thinking about having a whole sleeve done. Let's see what this episode's about instead. Prologue. On a desolate moon, Chakotay, Balana, Tuvok, and Neelix are surveying for polypharonite, a resource which Voyager desperately needs in order to keep the warp nacelles from burning up. During the search, Tuvok and Neelix discover a strange symbol embedded in the remains of a campfire, as Chakotay kneels over the symbol, his hand traces over the pattern, triggering a flashback to when he was a much younger and testier man. While trudging through an inhospitable jungle, young Chakotay discovers a symbol carved into a tree trunk in what the older man guiding Chakotay calls a chamusi, a blessing of the ancient rubber tree people, thanking the land for the firewood harvested from this fallen tree. As young Chakotay scoffs at the old man for believing in these ancient traditions, Present-day Chakotay informs Tuvok that the symbol could be a blessing to the land. A skeptical Tuvok requests an explanation, but Chakotay simply explains that it's just something that somebody once told him. Act 1 In the infirmary, Ensign Samantha Wildman is being examined for a shooting pain that is causing her problems while on duty. A very unsympathetic EMH simply tells her that this is standard normal for a human pregnancy, and she will just have to live with it until her next appointment. Cass is appalled at the doctor's lack of empathy and non-existent bedside manner, and tries to impress upon him that if he actually understood what humans suffer when they are sick, that the doctor might have a little more compassion towards his patients. And even though he refuses to coddle the crew with undue compassion, the doctor is intrigued by Kess's observation nonetheless. 
While arriving in Janeway's quarters, Chakotay regales the captain with more of the memory that was triggered after seeing the ancient symbol on the moon. He remembers how much he hated his father, who dragged him away from his friends and colony near the Cardassian border and deep into the Central American jungle on his father's quest to find the descendants of the ancient rubber tree people. And, after showing Janeway a side-by-side comparison of the symbol he found with his father years ago on Earth and the symbol from deep inside the Delta Quadrant, it begs the question, could the rubber tree people, or the sky spirits as Chakotay's father called them, have originated from the Delta Quadrant? After all, even Janeway admits that regardless of human evolutionary theory, there is still very little known about the secrets inside the Delta Quadrant. After persuading Chakotay to follow a warp signature leading away from the moon, Voyager and her crew track the trail to an M-class planet. However, a strong EM field appears to mask any life signs. Balana has also discovered several large deposits of polypharonite deep underground. Transporter locks on the surface are causing severe thunderstorms to block actual beaming, so Chakotay and his Wayne team are forced to take a shuttle instead, which also instigates another mysterious storm which triggers another flashback, where young Chakotay finds himself at odds once again with his father over their extreme differences of belief in the sky spirits. Suddenly, Chakotay is snapped back to reality as he sees the face of a man amidst flashes of lightning. Act 2 Upon arriving in sickbay, Kess activates the EMH, who greets her with his standard, albeit original and antiquated, response and a sneeze. Kess is puzzled and asks if this is normal for a hologram. The doctor explains that he has taken her earlier critique to heart and has programmed a 29-hour-long progression of the Voidian flu so that he can better understand the normal day-to-day plight of his patients and perhaps sympathize with them, or not, since illness isn't currently affecting the doctor's work responsibilities, a point which he punctuates as an unwell Harry Kim arrives in sickbay. Down on the planet, Chakotay and his team of Tuvok, Neelix, and Balana are struggling trying to locate the source of the energy reading discovered earlier. Chakotay suggests searching the old-fashioned way, with their eyes and ears. He spots a flower, an orchid, and one that he has only seen once before, when his father was dragging him through the Central American rainforest on Earth. He tasks Neelix and Tuvok to suss out the flower's mystery, while Balana reports that there is a high yield of polypharonide, but they have to act quickly before it too is contaminated and unusable. Just then, what appears to be a hawk flies overhead and triggers yet another flashback in Chakotay, reminding him of that same trip with his father and when Chakotay told him that he is leaving his tribe to join Starfleet to see more of the universe and to join the modern 24th century, unlike his tribe, who, like his father, decides to cling to the traditions of the past. But their differences will have to wait, as Neelix reports in, but is attacked by something unknown. Chakotay and Tuvok find Neelix later writhing on the ground with wounds on his eye, as he was attacked by the hawk. They beam him back to Voyager for treatment and continue their mission. Shortly after, they discover several strange wooden structures. Act 3 As the EMH tends to Neelix's eye, even though he is technically a hologram, the doctor is showing signs of illness. Kess assures Neelix that the EMH isn't contagious and explains that he infected himself with a program to simulate flu-like symptoms. Even so, 
Neelix and Kes decide to leave the infirmary to avoid being showered by holographic fits of sneezing. Back on the planet, Chakotay is still trying to locate the inhabitants of the village they discovered, and he needs to do so quickly, as Janeway would like to have the natives' permission, so that, based on Harry Kim's recommendation, they can treat the planet's crust with anti-thoron radiation in order to safely excavate the polyferrite deposits. Leaning on the lessons learned in his memory flashbacks that have been recently surfacing, Chakotay orders everyone to disarm just as his younger self and his father did years ago, so that the natives would still safe. And, after citing his official protest of this order, Tuvok also disarms and yields to Chakotay's reasoning to remove any aggressive posturing. In the past, this act of trust made the rubber tree people feel safe enough to emerge from the depths of the rainforest to make contact with Chakotay and his father, who carves the chamuzi in the dirt before them to prove that they are connected to the sky spirits. But in the present, the natives refuse to appear after such a gesture of good faith. Suddenly, a violent storm descends upon the village, forcing Chakotay, Tuvok, and Balana to retreat back to the shuttle. However, in the chaos of the storm, Chakotay sees a young man off in the distance and chases after him, until a tree is uprooted and crashes down on Chakotay, separating him from his combadge. Tuvok and Balana, unable to safely reach the shuttle, have no choice but to call in for an emergency beam-out which transports them and Chakotay's combadge back to Voyager. Act 4. Balana and Tuvok are safely aboard Voyager and thought Chakotay was right behind them. Janeway decides to lead a team to go retrieve him and even confirms with Tom that the weather conditions on the planet are indeed normal, even though he can't sensor lock onto Chakotay's shuttle. Meanwhile, Looking like he is on death's doorstep, for a hologram that is, the EMH begs Janeway for someone to check his program because somehow his pre-programmed 29-hour flu is now on its 30th hour. When Harry arrives in the infirmary to relieve Kess, who has been ordered to join Janeway for her away team, Kess admits that she was the one who reprogrammed the flu to last longer than the doctor expected. After all, what good is a test when you already know the outcome of when it will end? On the planet, Chakotay comes to and frees himself from underneath the fallen tree. Upon returning to the village, another flashback reminds him when he and his father finally encountered the rubber tree people. They removed his father's clothes, dressed him in their garments, and completed the transformation by marking him with the tattoo of the rubber tree people, which is the same marking on Chakotay's face. Understanding this lesson, he sheds his uniform, dons a native robe, and hopefully proves to anyone watching that he comes in peace. Back on Voyager, Janeway and her crew suss out that someone or something on the planet is manipulating the weather in order to discourage anyone from approaching, but at the same time, it allows them to leave. Janeway understands this, but still has to retrieve Chakotay, and after weighing all the options, she orders Tom to land Voyager on the planet. However, force meets force, and the storms from the planet meet Voyager's power head-on, trapping the ship in a cyclone that is dragging Voyager uncontrollably downwards. As the storm continues to ravage the planet, Chakotay discovers a nearby cave entrance illuminated by bolts of lightning, which almost seem to beckon him to enter. Act 5 As the crew does battle with the cyclone that is hurling them downwards to an eventual crash landing on the planet, Balana informs the captain that she needs at least 20 minutes to generate the power she needs for them to escape. However, Tom's math proves that their current rate of descent 
they only have 10 minutes left. In the cave, Chakotay delves deeper and is finally encountered by the aliens of this planet who appear armed, but more surprisingly are branded with the same tattoo he wears, the tattoo his father was given upon meeting the ancestors of the rubber tree people. Unable to understand their language, Chakotay communicates in the only way he knows how, as his father did to communicate with the rubber tree people by drawing the chamuzi into the ground before these aliens. Understanding what this symbol means, the leader of these natives gives Chakotay a device which allows them to understand their spoken language. And now that all are able to understand each other, the alien leader tells Chakotay that he bears the symbol of this alien race who visited Earth 45,000 years ago and taught their traditions and cultures to a race of primitive humans who share their same respect and love for the land. However, over time and the natural course of human evolution, the aliens, who became now known as the Sky Spirits, their traditions that they taught this group of nomadic humans became diluted and lost over time. The alien leader also admits that they hid from Voyager and used the storms to prevent what happened to Earth's tribes happened to them, as they believe peaceful intentions by Voyager are the greetings of human conquerors. Unbeknownst to Voyager, Chakotay somehow convinced the aliens to spare his ship and crew. The cyclone disappeared just in time before Voyager crashed on the surface, leaving Janeway and the crew stunned as to how and why. Back in the cave, Chakotay explains that he wears the tattoo to these aliens to honor his father and what he tried to teach him all those years ago, when he was far too young and far too angry to hear those words. And when the hawk appears later in the sky above and screeches one last time, Chakotay finally admits to his father's spirit that yes, he finally hears him. The End all right, nicely done. A Herculean task to do a recap of that episode, Norman. Well done. That was not easy. <laughs> uh, but let's uh, let's get right into it. One of the premises that I find very interesting about this is that in the 24th century, there are still people on Earth who choose to live the way their ancestors did way back when. You know, some people just decide, well, they'll move to another planet, form a colony move to a Scottish theme park planet, something like that. But it, it, it happens. It happens. <laughs> but at least it says something about how it, at least somewhere some people are doing what they want to do. They're allowed to do what they want to do. They can stay detached from other parts of the world and not be disturbed, you know? So that's that says something. You know, when I was visiting the Philippines um, when I was younger – uh, not necessarily dragged by my father through a rainforest, but, you know, mm-hmm. something similar to the effect. <laughs> there were native tribes in the Philippines that they didn't, they didn't partake you know, in modern society, uh-huh. you know, and they were, they're fine. Yeah. You know, they're fine in their traditions. They're fine in not having cell phones or internet or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can respect that. I liked the Chamuzi. I liked the element of the Chamuzi being used as a symbol that bridged not only generations, but bridged space and time. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yep. Yep. Cool idea. And how can we like not see the silhouette of an Indiana Jones hat anymore in kind of like the vernacular of pop culture? I thought the same thing. When you see... Yeah. Yeah. Right? So... um, so it's never really mentioned in the episode as far as I remember, but Chakotay's father's name is Kolopak. 
Okay. And, yeah. and that in, you know, in, in the trivia or in kind of like the casting, mm-hmm. um, uh, of the episode. So he wears that hat. He wears kind of like a leather vest, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very similar to like what Indiana Jones is all about. Like remember in, um, Indiana Jones, and the last crusade, the guy that was, you know, stealing the cross of Coronado, oh. he was wearing that yeah. hat. He was wearing the leather jacket, but it but wasn't, it wasn't Indiana Indy. Jones. Yeah. It was a good little yeah. fake out. And that's the kind of thing. It just telegraphs. This is an explorer. This is an adventure right. to the audience, which is fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. That's good. I'll tell you something that isn't fine. Samantha Wildman. Okay. Do the math. She's been pregnant for nearly a year. <laughs> So oh boy. what is going on? She got pregnant at DS9. Remember? It, it is now, if we just go in production order, this has been 11 months. So, yeah. Yeah, something's wrong. Here, so that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Like, so her husband, do we know at this time if her husband is an alien or human? That has not been revealed. But so okay, okay we'll so, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. But it's been eleven months. So Well yeah. sure. I mean if it was like if it was a human baby, like logic dictates that there's gonna be a there's a problem. There's a problem right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you what I did find very fun in that scene, it was the EMH just rattling off the pain descriptors. Just completely oh. I, yeah, it, it was great. Another gold star for Bob Picardo. He he earned so many. So this whole interesting thing about the doctor being like more sensitive. So it's not like, okay, so there's this whole thing with heroes and demons where he's just like, I'm going to learn how to be a hero. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to program that heroic, you know, quality into my, my base programming. Mm -hmm. Can't he just do the same thing with empathy or does he have to learn empathy? Well, that's an interesting thing about the, the mechanism that runs the EMH about the, the, the data that feeds the EMH. It's like, I guess it could decide, like there's an algorithm somewhere that could decide, like either program this to happen, like having the flu, or <laughs> program yourself to learn how to do something. And there's a difference there. Yeah. That That's kind of intriguing, I think, you know? I do love how he just plays the total disregard for Samantha Wildman. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's rough, but then, but then it plays perfectly for the contrast with Kess. So that, sure. that's nice. And another great Doctor line, I don't have a life, I have a program. <laughs> kind of wonderful. Oh, and, and just to be clear, if anybody's wondering, you know, the rubber tree people, uh, there should be a hyphen there. The, these are people who live among rubber trees. They are not, in fact, tree people who are made of rubber. You know, yeah, because right. like you know, when right. Neil Diamond and Hot August Night, when he calls out to the tree people, he means in fact people who just happen to be in the trees. They are not made of trees. It was a weird thing because it kept going back and forth for a while, where it was either rubber people or rubber tree people. I know. <laughs> so when you hear that, you know, as Star Trek fans, we're very particular about the details, especially when it comes to these weird references so i remember i remember early on like chakotay said when my father was looking for the ancestors of the rubber people yeah i'm like the people of yeah i know (laughs) it's it's what does that mean it's a weird choice it is a very weird choice yeah Yeah. um and i love chakotay telling (laughs) telling janeway like well my father would put on his expedition hat and shout let's go wow i mean just such a dramatic call to action like that's it that's the best he's got let's go <laughs> you know you call him dr chakote yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally i'm siding with neelix here I, I totally thought we were about to lose another shuttle 
So his right. nervousness well earned. And I, I love the moment of Neelix saying, you know, with, talking about the, the flower that they found. Uh, he says to Tuvok, now we have something in common, you know, and that look on Tuvok's face when Neelix just touches him on the shoulder. Gold. Total, right. such gold. Again, for the non-emotional Vulcan, man, Tim mm-hmm. Russ, you're wearing that on your sleeve, my friend. All right, so when Chakotay, when young Chakotay said that his application for the Academy was, like, sponsored by or approved by Captain Sulu, yep. what Captain Sulu are we talking about? Mm-hmm. That would make the Sulu that we know very old. Yeah. Right. So I'm. So is it Demora? I'm, I'm going with Demora. I'm going with the daughter. Okay. I I like okay. that idea. Let, let's just retcon that right now. I like that. I'm trying to find consistency with Chakotay's character because we don't really get a lot of him overall. Like we've had episodes like initiations. We have this episode, but all the way back in emanations, he said to Torres and to Harry Kim in the graveyard scene, use your eyes and ears. Don't desecrate this mm-hmm. land. Mm-hmm. He says in this scene, because they're having problems with the EM field, Use your eyes and ears yeah. the old-fashioned yeah. way. I like that bit of continuity that's yeah. happening with him. It's like, hey, you know what? If all else fails, you got senses, folks. Yeah. Use them. Same. Right? It's a good bit. The hawk. Hmm? Yeah? Should I focus on I, that? I have thoughts. I have thoughts. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll get back to all it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this about the hawk. That that attack on Neelix, even though we don't see it, like that's kind of gruesome. That's kind of like his eye is bleeding. I mean, that that's pretty yeah. intense. And it, it would have been very interesting if they actually got the shot that they wanted with their trained hawk. So that was something that they were trying to do for the show, and they just they couldn't get the shot. <laughs> so... What we didn't know is that that was a um, that was a Vidian hawk who was trained to steal eyes. That's it. That's exactly what it right? is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so put that in your head, Ken, uh-huh. folks. You know I'm, you know I'm speaking yeah. the truth. So okay, there's a scene where Chakotay's talking to Voyager, and he says Chakotay out, and he taps his communicator to basically say that I'm ending this mm. call. Mm-hmm. Do we see that like? ever in 90s track really not much because usually you just assume like either the ai has figured out when they're done or everybody's just still mm-hmm. listening <laughs> they're just, i'm wondering you know. yeah because i'm wondering if they, they made a very specific point that chakotay gets separated from his communicator when the tree hits him so i'm wondering if focusing on the communicator in this scene just makes people pay attention to hey look mm. this communicator is important because he's making it important yeah. by touching yeah, it all the time could be I liked seeing whatever old weapon phaser design that was happening when all of Chakotay's dad's group surrendered their weapons. Definitely did a freeze frame on that. Yep. yep. I liked that a lot. I liked seeing the old designs. The tension between Tuvok and Chakotay about surrendering and not taking defensive postures. Like, when is the thing between them going to figure itself out? Yeah, come right? on. Come on. Yeah. Tuvok's pushing back just maybe a little bit too much to his, I don't know, commanding officer. <laughs> when, remember, the, so the, the, the storm popped up in Chakotay and Balan and Tuvok, they're mm-hmm. running into the windstorm. And then at the very end, when they're in their most dire situation, do they ask for a beam out? Why not just beam out? Just, just do it right away. Yeah. Right. Then they wouldn't have been separated. Then, well, then again, the episode wouldn't have been solved. So what do yeah. I know? Paris says, no, ma'am. To Janeway. It, it feels very casual. It, it's a weird mm-hmm. kind of response that he has. But but thank goodness we cut immediately 
to the EMH to, again, Bob Cardo earning his pay that week, just milking that sickness for all it's worth. That is a great scene. He's so good in that. So I noticed this, not because I was looking for it, because it was just mm-hmm. there. In timestamp 3134, yep. when Chakotay, basically he strips himself from his uniform, there is a brief nudity scene in mm-hmm. there for maybe a split yep. second. Maybe a split yep. second. This happened in 1995. NYPD Blue was happening at the same time. Was this Voyager's version of trying to be edgy? Ooh, like NYPD push Blue? Push that envelope a was, little bit. Ah. Yeah, was Robert Beltran kind of like pulling his own Dennis Franz here, pulling his own well, I hate to tell you it was a body double, but it was good body double. It was well done. I should say Chakotay. Chakotay. The illusion yeah, of yeah, Chakotay. Yeah, 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 exactly. When I see a cave entrance uh-huh. bombarded by lightning, oh, yeah. I wouldn't try and get past the lightning but hey you know what chakotay he's fast he gets past well, lightning. no but wait but wait he, he he sees the lightning it keeps coming down he he dodges it he gets up to the cave entrance and then he just stops he just stops <laughs> turns and looks around <laughs> i know dude get in the cave yeah, yeah not good that's a lot of yeah. lightning i don't know how you felt about this john but there was a lot of information at least 20 gigaquads <laughs> worth of information <laughs> dumped on us by that alien leader about the history of the rubber tree people. Get, get back to me. Wait, wait for our wrap-up. Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, I will say, in that scene, though, something that I really liked, a really good direction on that over-the-shoulder shot with uh, Chakotay and the <laughs> alien. Thought that looked really nice. And I appreciated how the alien calls out, we come in peace as a phrase used by conquerors. Um, because yeah. I, if anybody here listens to the Trek files, we found that in a very old, unpublished, really unseen document that was like the first pitch for TNG. Uh, so way, way, way before. And then uh, that very thought made its way into the pilot episode for Discovery. So um, I thought that was cool to see that play out here. And man, uh, for the folks on Voyager, this is like the longest freefall of a starship through a planetary atmosphere. That is taking a very, very long time. When uh, Bellana says, like, I-, I need 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, really? 20? Yeah. She needs <laughs> yeah, 20 yeah. minutes. Tom yeah. says, like, we're dying yeah. in 10. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everybody check your watches, folks. Yeah, I like that. You know, there, there are those um, complaints about science fiction um, series that they don't spend enough time in native languages or enough time in subtitles. I like that they spent, I think, just enough time in subtitles before the alien leader gave Chakotay the universal translator so that they could start speaking just regular. Comment. And it was a really nice sounding language, too. I, it just it, mm-hmm. it, it had sort of a, a poetry and musicality to it that I really liked. It was I thought that was a very effective yeah. scene. And I think they just lingered in the language and subtitles just long enough to get the point across. Yeah. So I guess with the aliens, with the sky spirits, and what their tattoo looked like and what Chakotay's tattoo looked like, it's not Native American tribal. It's alien. Ch- it's catch, space alien. Catch me, catch me in the next segment, my friend. <laughs> right. So I guess the big question uh-huh. is, did the hawk come from the sky spirits also? Right. So he said it took them more than two generations for their people to reach there. So like, they're, imagine they're packing for this trip. And they're like, uh, uh, do we have enough water? 
Do we have enough clothes? Uh, first generation, you guys, you guys are prepared to die off, and another generation take your place. Okay, we have enough power bars. Uh, we have snacks packed. Somebody get a bird. Somebody, somebody, just go get that bird that's loud that flies and tries to pluck out people's eyes. Let's bring that with us too. If the rubber tree people remodel a room of their house, is that the rubber room? We'll be right back with Tattoo in a moment. But first, here's a message from this week's sponsor. You know what, Norm? And gentle listeners, there's something that uh, that kind of irks me about some of the tech giants. So ju- just think about this, you know, profiling, surveilling, data harvesting. These are all the kinds of things that maybe you don't like either about tech giants. But then what can you do about it when you rely on so many of their products? You probably have three things right in front of you now that are all doing that. We don't all have $44 billion to go, I don't know, say like uh, buy Twitter. No, no. But, But the good news is you don't need to be a billionaire to take a stand. For less than $7 per month, you can join us and fight back against big tech by using ExpressVPN. John, how do you think big tech companies like Twitter make all their money anyway? I mean, they track your searches and video history and everything you click on, and then, then they sell off your personal data. So ExpressVPN helps you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address, that unique identifier that every device that you have that allows big tech to match your activity back to you. That's why I use ExpressVPN. That's why John uses it on all our devices to make it much more difficult for them to exploit our data for their own profits. And the best part is how easy it is to use the ExpressVPN app. We just use that one tap button on our phone or our computer to turn it on. That's all you need. That's all it takes to keep people out of our business. Yeah, when you said profit, I thought you were going to go full Ferengi there because, you know, that that's what they do. All right, so if you are like us and you don't like the idea of big tech tracking you and then selling your personal data for profit... It's time to fight back. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log right now to get three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log. Again, expressvpn.com slash mission log. And we do thank them for sponsoring this week's show. Norman, can we talk about some sky spirits, please? Oh, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's just walk through what they did. Okay, I want to be I want this to be very clear for me, for you, for our audience. I want to talk through this. So these are aliens from the Delta Quadrant 70,000 light years away. They showed up tens of thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. So they have interstellar travel, they can do this. It took them a couple of generations. So they're not super fast. They're not necessarily faster than us. We don't know how long their generations are. Uh, They found some people, they found some humans that they liked better than others. And uh, they, they anointed them. They, they shared their DNA with them. And then those people, those humans made it over the Bering Strait and down into the Americas. Um, but by the way, they, they now have special alien DNA. So like a good 25,000 plus years, 
before they made it over the Bering Strait, they they got special alien DNA. So, mm-hmm. so the aliens they they found these particular humans that they liked, and and I'm sorry, let, let me check my notes again. Um, changed their DNA, gave them alien DNA, and from that point forward, they are genetically different from all other life on Earth, especially human life on Earth. And their evolution then goes on its own path. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Here's one suggestion for aliens that might be more advanced than us that come here. Come back and stop the ones who had weapons and disease. Right. You could do that. Or you, you could like help them in more constructive ways than using weapons and, and stuff. Um, and and you could also come back more frequently and check in. Like if you're going to break what we would consider a prime directive kind of thing, um, oh, good point. Maybe you, yeah. yeah, maybe you could come back and check to see the fruits of your labor, mistakes, your interfering. <laughs> um, but that's uh, just to get that clear. That that's what they did. There's so much to unpack from what the alien leaders said to Chakotay in the cave about this mm-hmm. entire history of 45,000 years ago. They came from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant to Earth specifically and then found this mm-hmm. race of people that they felt like uh, morally aligned with because these people, this nomadic tribe, respected the Earth, respected the land, respected the life. And they mm-hmm. felt that they needed to join with these people so that they could continue whatever philosophy that they have across these two quadrants of space. Here's mm-hmm. the big question, John. When Chakotay <laughs> is told all this, the question he never asked, and maybe the questions that the writers never asked him to ask, how did you get there from here? <laughs> and tell us how to get home faster. Thank you. Yes, right. well, because they've had now 45,000 years to develop their technology. Right. So presumably it wouldn't take them two generations plus to get back. So, yeah, that's one thing. Right. That would be a great question for him to ask. But now you have um, this rapport with this species, you know, that you have now regained their trust with thanks to the tattoo on your face, which I, I do like. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that oh, it's alien. It's cool looking, yeah. But you know, yeah. I like the fact that in some way now that there is this shared cultural experience between forty five thousand years ago to now. I think that's very interesting. But there is that opportunity for Chicote to say, We don't belong here in this space. Help us find a way to get through the Delta Quadrant to get home. Thank you. Yes. Look, I will spoil it by saying I don't want this episode to be a two-parter, but had it been a two-parter, that would be something that would have to come up. Like, it it should have come up regardless, even in the one-part episode that it is, but that is exactly the kind of thing that should be asked. I mean, there are so many questions that get raised when you start to retcon an entire species evolution because again if i didn't mention it they changed the dna so at a certain point in the thousands of years of human evolution in the uh the development of the scientific method uh the the you know cracking the human genome and then fast forward to 24th century medical technology it never occurred to anybody to go hmm there's this huge split in our our ancestral DNA, where you have all these people over here, and then you've got this one that has 
gosh, looks like alien DNA because we can't come up with any other explanation for it. Yeah. That must have really broken Ancestry.com's database. Because, yeah, hey, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go forward a few hundred years and you look at it, and oh, man, man this is going to be a mess. So I'm trying yeah. to wrap my head around this, John. So stop me if you've heard mm-hmm. this one before. But this is essentially okay. like the trope of ancient aliens who influenced ancient, influenced ancient humanity. This is what we're talking about I, here, right? It, it makes me very mad. Yes, chariots of the gods. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. or Stargate. Yep. Right. You know, you have yep. this trope of uh, humanity didn't evolve because of its, you know, of its quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, manifest destiny of being able to evolve and to improve and to better itself. Kind of like the way that we think mm-hmm. that humanity should have evolved. This episode is asking us because of all the rituals that were passed down from these sky spirits to the rubber tree people or rubber people to, you know, Chakotay's people that. All of this is built on alien influence, not human influence. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt you too much here, but but I will. Do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, because I, there are many thoughts that I have on that. But And this is one of those things that as soon as it came up, I, I apologize to our audience because I know that I've quoted it about a million times on Mission Log. But I always go back to that Gene Roddenberry quotation from the Yellow Sweater interview where he says, aliens didn't build the pyramids, human beings did because they're clever and they work hard. And to me, that is something. Mm-hmm. Something that is so specifically wonderful about Star Trek that it, it is the human adventure. It, it's not there's no mystical supernatural influence there. It's just like look what humans can do when human when humans decide to figure it out for themselves. And I realize that in this particular story, we're talking about a, a, a long divergence over history. And even Chakotay has that moment where he says, no, 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 look, the other humans aren't like that anymore. They, they have come to respect land. That's great. That's wonderful. But we're also talking about this influence that presumably made those people, made the other people, the tree people, the rubber tree rubber people. Rubber tree people, sir. Rubber tree people, mm-hmm. who they are because of this outside influence and and it, it it's yeah it th- that alone i think is problematic but there are some other tropes sort of baked into the story that i also think are problematic like kind of this idea of ancient wisdom or like the the presumed magic of indigenous people and while we're at it i mean for that matter are they actually indigenous americans still because or of the americas i i have a problem with the idea that all of these things that should be celebrated and studied and understood about our human history suddenly gets this massive rewrite Mm -hmm. where the accomplishments and the things that make them special aren't even human anymore I, I, uh, well, that, that will frustrate me to no end. And that's manifested, as I said before, in observations yeah. with I'm, I'm kind of like it's it's cool as an idea, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. disappointed that Chakotay's tribal tattoo isn't a tribal yeah. tattoo. It's an alien tattoo. And, and I think that there are very good places in science fiction where you get to do that. What if story? A- absolutely. And, and maybe even had this been written a slightly different way where it wasn't meddling with dna that that's the part that will always stick for me 
I, I don't mind messing around with some, you know, an alien contact here and there. That's all right. But I feel like if you're going to do this thing where you rewrite from the genetic level up, that's something that belongs in somebody else's sci-fi. It, it, it undermines something essentially human about Star Trek for me. You know, um, I'd just like to switch gears for a second here. About, yeah, please. Because there's an obvious A-plot here, which is Chakotay, but then there's a very obvious and not even really truly related B-plot here. And maybe that's this is one of those occasions where they don't necessarily have to meet. But mm-hmm. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Doctor's B-plot story in this episode, mm. to be honest with you. Okay. Because I felt that it took away the necessary time to pace this story correctly. I felt the pacing of this mm-hmm. episode was off, and I'll talk about that later in, uh, mm-hmm. in my uh, closing statements. But mm-hmm. the Doctor has had a great amount of success in terms of his evolutionary-focused episodes, focusing on him learning, focusing on him evolving. I didn't think that it needed so much focus in this episode and I love Robert Picardo. You know I do. But I feel yeah. like this wasn't the time. This wasn't the the episode where they needed to steal away from the main story. And I, I felt that it could have been done more economically than how it was handled. Yeah, either more economically or less for comedy. Mm. Like, I, I feel like it's one of those things where they feel like at the time, well, we're doing a story that has all these big sci-fi ideas and there's this deep dive into what makes Chakotay tick. So that's going to be heavy anyway. We need to have something to lighten it up. So they just go for broke when it comes to the comedy, as opposed to tempering that a little bit where, where it can't be distracting. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. It, it almost plays like two different episodes. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you could literally yeah. like separate them into two half-hour episodes because I think they got fairly even time. And for me personally, I know this is a severe nitpick, but mm-hmm. I get taken out of people faking sickness or faking illness with mm-hmm. fake mm-hmm. sneezes. You either sneeze right or you don't. Your body contorts into a myriad of weird positions when you sneeze. And when it's an acting sneeze, you can tell it's an acting sneeze. And it's just fake. And it's bad. And I love Picardo. But even he isn't as convincing as he could be at times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is something that would have played better... If it was an episode that had more of a, like a medical through line in it anyway, where it just it would have felt more like it, it, it like it had relevance, even if he's overplaying it, even if he's doing that. I think it would have been amazing if Kess programmed his program to be pregnant. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> By the way, that raises an interesting question about Kess and just how the EMH works. Like a person can go in and change the EMH without the EMH knowing because she did change the length of that flu and he didn't know it, which I thought was a nice little fake out. It was a nice little moment for him. But um, yeah, but apparently a person can just change the EMH. Without him knowing? It's kind of like, yeah. how do you reprogram a computer without the computer AI knowing? I know. I know. Uh, let's get it let's get back to rubber tree people. <laughs> okay, let's get back to rubber tree people. Now, I I have boy, this is sort of uh, I don't know. Uh, 
It's a question really for our audience, but I want to run it by you and and see how you think about this. Mm -hmm. Because I I wondered if a story like this, given the the depth of what it, it is about for Chakotay, does it undermine or does it reinforce the feeling of the importance of the the personal weight on faith 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 as an idea faith as a driving force in someone's life so so go with me here on this because i'm asking that sincerely because as someone who doesn't really use faith as a motivating factor in my beliefs i i feel like this is a road that we've been down before in star trek think way back with me to deep space nine you remember those those heady days mm-hmm. uh, Deep Space Nine. So we meet the Bajorans, mm-hmm. who have built a religion around the wormhole aliens who are, as we've said, just right there in the wormhole. You can go shake their hands and go say hi. And Cisco can go hang out with them, and they usually just give him incomplete or incoherent answers to any questions that he or anybody else might have. Um, and the Bajorans would still rather believe than anything. And even if Cisco was reluctant to do the prophet's bidding, he still maneuvered into it anyway, especially after, here we go, here's our parallel, he discovers he's one of them. He, he was, you know, his birth was orchestrated by them. Mm-hmm. We're a step away from just showing up and touching somebody and blessing their DNA. Now, I'm not sure that that's a satisfactory reason for anything that goes on there. And and now we have Chakotay, who similarly isn't really, he's not putting much stock into his ancestors' faith. That's clearly what we get from young Chakotay, though he does respect certain traditions quite a lot. He's got his medicine bundle. He, he, you know, went off in the shuttle to do that ceremony. but as soon as the sky spirits become aliens that he can touch and talk to, the belief in them seems to take root. So is it a faith anymore at that point? Or once you know that you have their DNA in you that literally sets you apart from every other human that you know except for the ones in your family, is it just a genetic destiny? And you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess now I'm part of it because... It's literally in my blood. That's a great point to bring up because, you know, faith is this belief system of believing in something that you can't necessarily tangibly, you know, touch or feel or, you know, or connect Mm -hmm. with in a physical way. You know, that's, that's, you know, you're, you're placing your trust into something that is abstract. But yes, when you actually meet your quote unquote God in a physical Mm -hmm. way, how does that change the faith? I'm not saying that that is not a God anymore. It's just that now you have put something physical in place of something that was, again, spiritually abstract or, you know, emotionally abstract. So do the sky spirits exist to him after this point in that same way? He knows that there are these alien beings that exist on X planet in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, with the next time he's in a shuttle doing the ceremony, praying to his ancestors and thinking about his father, who's he praying to? Who who is the medicine bundle for? Right. Is it just like, oh yeah, I was at their planet a few weeks ago, a few months ago, a couple of years ago. I know where they live. <laughs> you know, that's like yeah, literally like saying I have been to heaven and back. I have shaken hands with you know, depending on your faith, you know, I've shaken hands uh-huh. with Muhammad or Saint Peter, you know, yeah. or you know, Jesus Christ, you know, yeah. 
and I'm back now. I can go there whenever I want because I know exactly the coordinates of heaven. Yeah. So no big deal. Or is it a big deal? Right. Right. I don't know. If the rubber tree people got together to make music, would it be a rubber band? Well, John, we are here at the end of Tattoo, and it has been a very interesting journey. But as we do with all episodes of Mission Log, we look at the morals and meanings and messages at the very end. But before we get there, we look at does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time for whatever reasons we believe it should or shouldn't? So let's start with you, John. You have been very vocal (laughs) in some of your opinions here. And I mean, I believe that you are justified in them as I am justified in my opinions as the listeners are justified in their opinions. But it seems that uh, with this episode, it has fostered more interesting discussion, I should say. How is that going to influence how you feel this episode? This is tough because I'm having a little bit of a hard time separating whether or not I think the episode holds up from a production, storytelling, you know, from those aspects versus just how do I feel about it? How do I feel about what this episode has to say? So I pretty much just have to go with my gut here. And there's one thing that we didn't talk about in the earlier parts of our discussion, particularly in trivia or observations that I think is worth pointing out. One thing that I think would be very different if this episode were made today we'd probably see a lot more Native American actors on screen. Everyone here pretty much is Latino. And that is not to take away from Robert Beltran, who is very good in this, as is everyone. Douglas Spain playing young Chicote, I think is very good. I, I think the father is very, I, I think everybody, guest stars on down, they're very good. But, you know, off mic, you asked me what Jamake Highwater maybe had to do with this. And that's just another layer of maybe how disjointed, how separated the production's approach to things that have to do with Native American beliefs, myths, history, et cetera, get convoluted because then you, you have this source of information that was not reliable. So I, I like to think that it's been made right now. We would have a different approach. Now let's talk about the episode. Um, I feel like this is another one of those episodes that I'm supposed to like because it is a little bigger in scale. It takes itself seriously. There is a deep dive for the Chicote character, but I cannot get there. I it is an episode that I feel like has very good intentions, which is to develop Chicote and give us some earned comic relief and growth with the EMH. You and I will, will differ on that. I, I feel like, yes, it is overplayed. It is a bit over the top, but I think we need some kind of comic relief there. So if it succeeds in the latter, I feel like we get off track with the former. The, the pacing is maybe a little too breakneck because we then miss out on some interesting ideas that could have been explored. But I applaud the production for trying to do something big and epic with their limited time of a single episode. The thing that I will not be able to get past with this episode ever is the rewriting of human history. Star Trek, please stop that. 
<laughs> Please stop it. I had a problem with it in The Chase, if you go way back to season six of TNG. And I will have a problem with it anytime Star Trek decides to just tell us that aliens kept showing up and not just observing, but rewriting human history, this time genetically. I dislike the idea of some humans being more special than other humans, that they were picked by aliens or gods or alien gods, what have you, for some special destiny. That seems to just fly in the face of something that makes Star Trek very important to me, which is that human beings get to achieve great things because they worked hard to solve their problems and learn to be better. So every time we introduce some special supernatural influence into the mix, I get queasy. Uh, remember the motion picture? The human adventure is just beginning. That was the central thesis that those characters figured out that the journey was about what they have inside. Now, sorry for my rant. <laughs> Does the episode hold up? Look, I'm not totally discounting Chakotay here. I think there is value in seeing him grow up. I think it's really nice to see. I think any character and any real-life human who appreciates the value of their history and their family, their ancestry, truly has something special. What's egregious is taking away some of that by saying, nope, aliens did it. That's the kind of twist that hurts a story like this for me. And, and it does another thing, which I think is more of a modern-day offense than it was in the 90s, and that is over-explaining. So, Norm, you had that in your notes in the second act of our podcast about the information dump, the 20 gigaquads of information. So the hawk, the flower, the flashbacks, the explanations, the tattoo pattern itself, it's all so on the nose. It's like when we've mentioned before the Star Wars movie Solo. So it was fun, and I can enjoy it, but does it help me in any way at all to know that the name Solo came about because somebody said, oh, you're Solo, you have no one else? No, that does not help me. It does not help me appreciate the character. So I can't get past these faults of the episode, which many other people may, may not be affected by at all. I get that. But I have to say that I can't, it, I, I can't get past it. This episode doesn't hold up for me, even though it works and it is trying so hard in so many other ways. So um, I may be the odd one out here, but tell me what you think. I mean, those are very fair points. You know, I, I think that a lot of that, you know, is is true. I, I'm on the same page with a lot of what you said, and I'm going to kind of spin it a okay. different way a little bit because... There is a lot of unevenness in this episode for me, but I'm trying to see, like, there are some pretty positive broad strokes that are happening in this mm -hmm. episode, too. So let's take a look at the Sky Spirits. So the Sky Spirits, we know that at one point in time to a group of indigenous, quote-unquote, indigenous people on Earth, that they are mm -hmm. gods. But then we learn that they are not gods, they are aliens that... For, you know, better or worse, they influence the evolutionary pathway of humans on Earth. Okay, that is part mm -hmm. of this story. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's this larger ask that may be too big of an ask, you know, for the audience. Because let's take a look at probably one of my all-time favorite uh, opening credits of any of my fandoms. That's in Battlestar Galactica from mm -hmm. 1978. With a great, you know, Alfred Hyde White when he said, there are those who believe that life here began out there. 
far across the universe with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers, I'll do the voice, of the Egyptians <laughs> or the Toltecs or the Mayans. There may have been the architects of the Great Pyramids or the lost civilizations of Lemuria or Atlantis. Yeah. And then the best part, some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who may even now fight to survive somewhere yeah. beyond. I, but, I, I don't want to be anyway. pedantic, but I know we'll get email. Uh, that was yeah. Patrick McNee. Because remember, he did the voice. I'm sorry, of Count Patrick. Ibley, no, well. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, because he was yeah. County Ibley. Uh, my but, mistake, but, but yes, see, my here's the thing. Like, I, I, I'm right there with you, my friend. I love, love, love yeah. that opening. It, it gives me chills to yeah. see that and hear the music swell behind it. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. To me, though, that was always like, oh, okay. The the genetic thing that is humanity that that is you know, Homo sapiens. They seeded what's here. It's not like just one group. That's the difference. Okay. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to get ahead of you. Yeah. 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 Yep. No, that's totally, I agree with that. That's what I love about that element of Mm -hmm. that storytelling is that they are the ancestors Mm -hmm. of and not the genetic manipulators for. Okay. And that's where I think the big difference is, where the disconnect is, I think, where you and I come, you know, with the Sky Spirits is that they didn't come from the Delta Quadrant to create this race of rubber tea yeah. tree people they met these people yeah no if you go back to the them. chase it's those beings just seeding all humanoid life everywhere <laughs> right and you know i did i did uh, remember this one point i forgot to make this in discussion but it's very much like what they did with alien prometheus with uh, the engineers uh-huh. the engineers being kind of like this well let's like not be too on the nose but let's be on the nose about this pure built white origin story for all of life right let's get down to like what is being said on the nose here in this episode but at the same time though i like the broad stroke aspect of it not necessarily the nuances that they forgot to really develop in there and this is where i think that again the doctor story took away from the time that they could have used to tell and nuance out the details of Mm the story but Here's a weird thing. Like my favorite part of this episode is just the editing of the flashbacks. Really nicely done. Yeah, I loved. Yeah, yes, very mm-hmm. nicely done. I liked how Chakotay, young Chakotay, they were. It was it was well timed. It was well edited, and it told the story that it needed to tell with Chakotay learning from his past. And it's just this one particular thread of his past. It doesn't go into all these different aspects of his mm-hmm. past life. Just this one trip that he was on yeah. with his father. And I really like that they stuck with that particular storyline. I think the issue here is, and the reason why I brought up was Jamaki Hightower or Jackie Marks influential in this episode, because you can tell, and I'm no historian and I'm no like Native American culturalist, but I knew that there was something (laughs) off about how they portrayed Native Americans in this episode. It just felt like, okay, let me put it this way. I'm going to put this as indelicately as I possibly can to make a point. In Wayne's world, when Alice Cooper says Milwaukee, <laughs> yes. meaning the good land, I learned more historical culturalism about Native Americans than I did from the entirety of this episode because of how mishandled it was. Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm just saying that to make a point where one is historically based on fact and one is based on interpretation yeah. of fact. And I think that when you're dealing with it in the way we're trying to weave a narrative into a story, you have to be specific. You have to respect the culture from which your story is derived. That is what is missing here. And that is a huge opportunity that they could have used to give this story the credibility 
in the backstory that it deserved, that it could build upon. So all that being said, I actually do recommend oh, this episode. Oh, okay. For this particular okay. reason, it's because it is the only so far backstory and history of Chakotay that we've gotten that actually means yeah. anything. And I think for the character, that's important because as of right now, if you said, why do you like Chakotay? Unless this episode exists, I don't have a reason to. But now I do. And it's because I love young Chakotay. Young Chakotay owns yeah. this episode. Yeah. The actor, you know, he just does a great job of showing who Chakotay was and where Chakotay has come from. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they ever return to this story to see if it bridges that anger and how he passes through that trial to get to the Chakotay that we know today, that gentle man that mm, he describes mm-hmm. himself in mm-hmm. initiations. So all of these great details are being parsed out. But I think much like Parturition did for Tom and for Neelix, this is the episode that at least gives Chakotay some type of three-dimensionality that gives his character just a, a roundness that has been missing. That's why I recommend this. Excellent, episode. excellent. Well, look, I'm going to be short and sweet with my morals meetings message. Um, I, you know, to me, I think back to uh, the great song by Joe South, but made famous by none other than Elvis Presley, who said, walk a mile in my shoes. And look, <laughs> that, that phrase, it applies to both our A-plot and B-plot here. The EMH gets a lesson in empathy. You, you phrase it as this provocative question, you know, why not just program yourself with that empathy? Well, to me, it's more interesting that he gives himself the lesson. He allows himself to experience the lesson. And I thought that was what was very cool about that. Similarly, in our A plot, Chicote gets to walk through the lessons of his ancestry. He gets to reconcile all these misgivings that he has from his past by reliving it but then also taking this deep dive into what that cultural heritage means. Uh, Look, as much as I will part ways with how that is handled with the the weird alien chariots of the gods plot going on here, as much as I will never get past that, I do actually appreciate the message buried within, which is that it's not just somebody – you know, handing Chakotay a book and saying, here, this is what, you know, your ancestors believe. No, he gets to actually live it in in a multitude of ways. He gets to make discoveries about that. And then it's nice to see that young Chakotay get reconciled to the adult Chakotay that we know now. I think that plays out very well. And even if I don't love the episode, I think that is a worthwhile message. What about you? Well, I mean, I, I'm very similar, um, you know, to your sentiments, John. I mean, I'm just going to mm-hmm. kind of like phrase it differently. I think that the the lesson that I've learned here, or the moral meaning and message that I landed on, was real world experience mm-hmm. is the best teacher. Yeah. So, I really like how Chakotay used the flashbacks of being a younger, angrier version of himself to inform the decisions he was making, kind of like in the present day uh, mm-hmm. telling of this story. Um, speaking for myself, and I, I see a lot of my younger self and younger mm-hmm. Chakotay, there are times in our lives where we're so blinded and, and misguided by an overzealous belief system that we've kind of mentally conditioned within ourselves to believe in without really questioning why or 
feeling any remorse mm. about our decisions. You know, this is this kind of um, what I'd like to say is a, a conditioned mm. ignorance, right? That prevents us from kind of like seeing the bigger picture, from opening our eyes and from for, for making decisions for ourselves based on what we experience or how that experience changes us. There is this, and as Star Trek fans, there is this aspect of infinite diversity in infinite combinations that allows us to see things in a way that we may not have seen before. And if we continue the pathway of, say, like the younger Chakotay, and we never get to the point of understanding the sky spirits and, say, what this greater universe has to offer us, then we don't get to reach the potential of that IDIC mentality, philosophy. And I think that that's what is a, a cautionary tale here, that there is a point in time where you're going to have to decide whether you're going to stay the path of young Chakotay or grow into the older Chakotay because of what real-world experience teaches you. And I think that that's what we as Star Trek fans want to see happen overall, or especially within us. Well said. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you would like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Cold Fire. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Okay, no more jokes about the rubber tree people, they're bound to rub someone the wrong way. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.